Hey, welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a place dedicated to the powerful web words weave and the deep layers they uncover. Here you'll find a compilation of tips, tricks, and words of wisdom from writers, authors, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Basically, cool people doing cool things in the world and how they've used words as weapons of mass creation and inspiration. You'll also hear from me, your host, Louise Johnson. I'm a former marketing maven in New York and Switzerland. I left a lucrative job to follow my dream of becoming a writer. It's a never-ending journey, so I figured we should all be in it together. I've learned a lot along the way, but it's a constant evolution. My favorite part is how little by little, letters turn into words, words become sentences, sentences become paragraphs, and before you know it, you've created something from nothing. And whenever that happens in life, it's nothing short of magic. So grab a coffee or a glass of wine, and let's dive into today's chapter. Hello, welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. You are listening to chapter seven, and today I'm going to be talking about how to outline your book. And this can relate to fiction or nonfiction. There are so many different methods of how to write a book. Just do a quick Google search or look in YouTube. There are books about the topic. I know that a few years ago when I first decided to write my book, that was one of the first things that I wanted to learn was okay, I have this great idea. Well, I think it's a great idea. I've kind of jotted down some notes in a notebook, but how do I sit down and outline this so that I'm not just staring at a blank page every day? And that goes back to the essence of what an outline is for. It really is just a roadmap to guide you throughout the writing process. So if the going gets tough, you kind of get off track, you lose your momentum, you lose your motivation, you lose your train of thought. It's something that you can go back to and reference, kind of like a GPS for your book. Writing has always been a creative process. You're using words to create a world from scratch that didn't exist before, except in your imagination. So the idea of outlining, and even that word, sounds a bit constricting to the creative process, and I know that it can be really suffocating for a lot of writers. Not everyone loves to outline their books. That's why it's really helpful, and the first step before you sit down to write your book is to determine whether you are a plotter or a pantser. And those are actual terms used in the author community, plotter and a pantser. As you can probably guess by the name, a plotter is somebody who loves outlines. They need it to write a book from start to finish, and without it, they would be completely lost. A pantser is a writer who literally writes by the seat of their pants. They can't stand being restricted by an outline, even if it's a self-imposed one, and like to just let the words and the story flow naturally. Apparently, Stephen King is a famous pantser. He doesn't outline his books. He just starts with a general idea and locks himself in a room and sees where that takes him. A lot of writers also find themselves somewhere in the middle of the spectrum between a plotter and a pantser, meaning they start with a general overview, it's their guidepost when they kind of reach some tricky waters throughout the writing process, but if they're sitting on the train or the subway or the bus someday and they have an amazing idea that they want to just sit down and let the creativity flow, they allow themselves to do that. Before you dive into writing a book, it is good just to take some time to figure out what kind of writer you are whether you're a plotter or a pantser or you fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Because if you're trying to force yourself to come up with a detailed outline because that's what all of the writing books say, that's what the YouTube videos tell you you should be doing, 
That's what this weird girl on a Word Weaver podcast is telling you is a good idea. But what might be good for me might not be great for you. So just kind of reflect on what style you prefer because that will prevent a lot of frustration along the way. Full disclosure, when I first started writing my book, I thought that I could just sit down and the story would flow out of me because I had the scenes kind of already in my mind. Part of it is my own life, so I figured, okay, this is going to be easy to organize this into a, a book, and then the rest was a lot of research. The second part of my book is historical nonfiction, so again, I thought, okay, once I kind of have this general idea, I've... I'm very well versed in the subject. It'll be easy for me to sit down and write 100,000 words in one go. Very quickly, I realized that writing by the seat of my pants was not going to produce the story that I wanted to write. With so many ideas and characters and plot lines that I was trying to connect and also have a deeper meaning behind it, without an outline, I wouldn't have been able to create something that I was really proud of. So I began researching how famous authors outline their books, and I tried a lot of different methods. It was a lot of trial and error, mostly error, until I found a groove and I pieced together a few different things that really worked well for me and my writing style and my personality. And most importantly, was the most efficient use of my time. I was spinning my wheels trying to write this book on the fly so having the outline really actually saved me a lot of time in the end and it assured that I avoided plot holes because I could see kind of a big picture bird's eye view from my outline how things were going to go how characters were going to intertwine and how stories were going to link up at the end. As you can probably tell by now I am definitely more of a plotter but in part of my outline, I do allow for creative free flow throughout the writing process because that's often where I get my best work and my best sentences. I usually get really bad insomnia when I'm writing a book or editing a book because it's all I can think about is the story. So sometimes at like three in the morning, I'll just get up. I won't even look at my outline and I'll just let myself to write a scene freely and then edit it the next day or the following week once I've had some time and space to go back and it usually ends up being like pretty good. There's not a lot that I have to change. So in part of my process, I always allow for that because it could end up being your best work. So I don't like to be too stuffy and too strict with my outlines. If you come to the conclusion that you're a pantser like Stephen King, then you don't really have to listen to the rest of this podcast because, as the title says, it's how to outline your book, more geared towards plotters. If you're a pantser, feel free to take out your headphones and go let those creative juices flow. There are a bajillion ways to outline a book, so if it was easy, then there would just be one method that everybody followed because, bam, you would do it and you'd have an immediate bestseller. But that's not the case. I'll walk you through some of the more common methods that writers use, usually for outlining fiction books, but they can be used to outline nonfiction books as well. What I've done is taken bits and pieces from these classic tried and true outlining methods and created my own system that I'll walk you through at the end because maybe that'll give you some more ideas and inspiration for crafting your own outlining method. One of the most popular and 
Arguably the most common method that a lot of fiction writers use is one that you probably learned back in elementary or high school. It's called the snowflake method, which basically just means you start with a really small idea and then you expand it and get bigger and bigger. It's a way to break down the book into more manageable chunks. The snowflake method has 10 steps in total. And the first step, of course, you have to start really small. It's to write a one sentence description of your book. This should be about 15 words in total and should be a summary sentence of your entire book. Full disclosure, I find this the hardest part of writing an outline and even a query letter. To take an entire idea, an entire book with many different characters and outcomes and try to craft it into one simple sentence that people can understand, but that also tells the full story of what you're trying to put out into the world and share with the world is incredibly challenging. It sounds so simple. Oh, just write a one-sentence summary of your book. But I just, I don't know. I find this the most difficult, but maybe it'll be a lot easier for you, and I'm just crazy. The second step of the snowflake method is then to expand that sentence into a larger paragraph. This is kind of like your elevator pitch. You should have five sentences in your descriptive paragraph for this step. Your first sentence in this paragraph would be setting the scene, setting up the story. The next three sentences in the paragraph would talk about your main conflicts and what the character has to overcome throughout the book. Because if the character isn't overcoming any obstacles or challenges, then it's going to be a pretty boring book and nobody will want to read it. The protagonist has to have some sort of transformation, whether it's a fiction book or a nonfiction book, because that's kind of where growth happens and that's where you'll get a good plot arc. The fifth and final sentence in your paragraph would be a wrap-up of the story, a quick little summary. The third step of the snowflake method is to write a one-page summary for each of the main characters. This means including their major goals, conflicts, their motivations. You can even include backstory stuff like where they came from, where they were born, how many siblings they have, what they like to eat, what kind of music they listen to, what they look like, because as you go on, you'll feel like you really know the character and it'll be easier to write about them if you have all of this in the back of your mind. Given that my book is nonfiction, I actually skipped this step because I know myself pretty well, I know my whole backstory, so I didn't have to do a whole character sheet on that. That would actually be pretty weird if I did, to be honest. And then I just took such meticulous notes on my other main character throughout my research process that, again, I really knew this person inside and out that I didn't want to waste time writing a one-pager when I could just refer to all of my notes as I went through writing the book. And then even my minor characters, again, are people that I know from real life since it's nonfiction. I've changed most, if not all, of their names to kind of keep their identity somewhat hidden, but... But if you're creating brand new characters out of thin air, then I'm sure this would be very helpful to have these one-page sheets to reference as you go through and write out their storylines. The fourth step in the Snowflake Method is to write a brief synopsis. And this is taking those five sentences, that paragraph you wrote in step two, and expanding each sentence into its own paragraph. That way you'll end up with a larger, more robust summary that again should be around one page. A brief synopsis is 
one of the most valuable things that you'll use in querying agents and including in your book proposal, whether you're writing a fiction or a nonfiction book. Personally, I find this way of writing a synopsis a little too constricting. I would definitely skip this step, but that's just me. A lot of people need that structure to make sure that they're including all of the main important points that an agent would want to see in a synopsis. But for me, I actually write my synopsis at the end when I finish my first draft of the manuscript because then I have a really clear picture of where the book starts and it finishes and I'm able to include all of the juicy points that I've kind of added throughout the process because again, I do not always stick to my outline. I add a little bit of creative flair when the iron strikes. The fifth step of the snowflake method is going back to the characters, and this is less of a list of their attributes and their physical descriptions, and it's more about flushing out their storylines. So just writing what happens to each of the characters in your book from beginning to end. The sixth step is writing a longer synopsis. So this is taking your brief synopsis, which was one page, and expanding this into a four-page description. So this is a super in-depth, detailed analysis and explanation of your book, including all of the characters that are introduced, the conflicts that they reach, and your overall conclusion. To be honest, I think this is a little extra. I would definitely skip this step, but you do you. If this is something that will make you feel more confident going into the writing process, then it doesn't hurt to have it. I just think taking the time to expand your brief synopsis into a longer four-page synopsis that you probably won't end up using is a little bit of excess work. You'll always only submit a one-page synopsis. Ugh can't even say that word, synopsis to a literary agent in your book proposal. So yeah, something to think about, but that's what they suggest for the sixth step of the snowflake method. The seventh step of the snowflake method is creating a character chart with timelines and a chronological order of when they're introduced, which scene they come into, and how they interact with each other and the other plot points in your book. The eighth step of the snowflake method is mapping out each scene in a spreadsheet or a chart and using a one-line sentence to describe what happens in each scene. It's important to put the point of view, which character is telling this story, if you have multiple points of view, and then what happens in each scene. Scenes end up being chapters usually, you can often have two scenes within a chapter. I would advise not having more than that because it can kind of get complicated and a little confusing for the reader. Out of all of the steps in the snowflake method, this is definitely the one that I use by far. I've taken it and adapted it to kind of fit my own outlining practices, but creating a chart and organizing each scene into a one sentence description in a spreadsheet is always my roadmap and how I end up creating my chapters and how I end up adding in characters because I can see what happens at each stage of the book. Now step number nine for the snowflake method, they recommend expanding each of those scenes that you just wrote a sentence about into a paragraph. Again, I think this sounds like a lot of extra work that you don't really need. It could be helpful if you're not sure what the conflict is in each scene or what changes or what happens, this will help you flesh it out. 
But I think you can always go back and elaborate on that down the road. Just having that one sentence would be good enough, I would think. The tenth and final step of the snowflake method isn't really an outlining step. It's just the next phase of the writing process, which is sitting down and attempting to write your first draft. I have a feeling it was actually nine steps and they just wanted to have a nice 10-step method, so they added this in the end because it's not really part of the outlining process. It's just sitting down to write the first draft of your manuscript. The Snowflake method is definitely the most comprehensive and intense way to outline a book, but I wanted to start with that so you could see how in-depth you could really go. The benefit of this, of course, is that you've done all of the upfront preparation that can help prevent writer's block and keep you motivated throughout the writing process because you'll always know where you're going. Another method for outlining your books is called the skeletal method. This can also be referred to as the academic method because it's used mainly for research papers. A good way to think about the skeletal method is that it's taking your story, a really complex idea, and breaking it down to its most bare-boned form. The skeletal method allows you to lay out the main points that you want to hit in your story and give you a bird's eye view of the overall flow of where you're going. I like to think of an ascending graph. You're going up, going up, going up the mountain, and then you're almost kind of falling off the cliff near the end of your story and you're wrapping it up neatly at the bottom. Your first skeletal point should be your exposition. This is where you're setting up the scene and introducing the main characters. Next is an inciting incident, and this means something has to happen to one or all of the characters or the scene, there's a monsoon or a tornado, that sets things into motion. Then it's your rising action. More obstacles are introduced and the tension and stakes are building higher and higher for your characters. Finally, you reach the peak or the top of the mountain, and this is the climax of the story. This is always the most pivotal and often dramatic scene in a book or even a movie. An example is you have two opposing armies and the climax of the scene is when they finally battle it out in the most epic war of all time. Then what happens after that is you go back down the mountain or you kind of fall off the cliff and this is called the falling action. Things have been put into motion from the climax, that big climactic scene, that the characters have to start working towards a solution and rebuilding. Then finally, it's your resolution. You're back on the ground. If you're thinking of that ascending, descending chart, this is your summary of what happens at the end of your story. It's important to ensure that your characters from the beginning of the book, from the exposition, have had some sort of transformation or change by the time you get to the resolution. Because if your main character stays exactly the same, if they're a snotty, spoiled brat at the beginning of the book and they are a snotty, spoiled brat at the end of the book, then you've taken the reader on this roller coaster or mountain of a journey and yet nothing has changed, so they're left feeling a little bit duped or frustrated because if the main character hasn't changed or they haven't learned any lesson along the way throughout the story, then that means the reader hasn't been able to learn anything or take anything away throughout the story as well. Often my favorite books are where the change is subtle. It's usually an internal or kind of a psychological shift. It's not something crazy or overly dramatic, 
but some the subtle nuances of a character growing and flourishing are usually kind of what hit my heartstrings the most and to me are the sign of a good book. Another fun method of outlining is to create a visual map. This is something that I've definitely incorporated into my own book preparation and outlining. It's something that you can get really creative with, there's no right way to do it, but it's a good excuse to gather all of your markers and colored pens and pencil crayons. You can use white computer paper, a chalkboard, a dry erase whiteboard, and I actually use my wall. I'll get to that in a little bit. But generally for visual maps, there's a lot of ways that you can do this. You could draw blocks in one color for various plot points that you want to have in your story. This can be drawn out or colored in chronological order. Or you could have a central theme or idea in the center of your page or chalkboard and then have different ideas branching off from there. Then I would take another colored marker and add in all of the characters that you want to introduce beside each of the different plot points that you have on your page. If you start your visual map with the central idea in the middle and then you're doing branches out from there, a good way to think about it is just to keep answering the question, and then what? That's an easy way to create plot points and scenes because you have to keep answering what happens to the character next in this scene. Most people are visual and if you're a writer it means you're probably a creative person so this is usually a really fun and easy non-intimidating way to start outlining. Lastly there's a contextual preparation method which is a little bit more on the pantser end of the spectrum I would say. It's pretty simple it's just giving context to the setting, your characters, listing out your scenes, at least the ones that you know from the beginning. You'll probably want to add more as you go along and the story develops. Writing out the context for these things is just done freely without any strict rules in your notebook or you could create individual Word documents on your computer if that's easier for you. As I mentioned at the beginning, there are so many methods for outlining a book. It can be really overwhelming and daunting when you have an idea for a book and you just don't know where to start. It took me a long time to find an outlining method that worked for me. All of the ones that I've mentioned today, I've tried all of them. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. I got frustrated at times and abandoned the ideas. But in trying the various outlining methods, it was a really powerful way for me to get to know my characters and my story inside out. So that way, even throughout the writing process, I knew, oh, I want to link this scene to something that happened a hundred pages ago. And if you don't have that bird's eye view picture of the story, it's really hard to make those clever links and little surprises for the reader. I want people when they read my book to come to the end of a chapter and be like, oh my god, how did she plan this? How did she think of that? How did she relate that back to something that I read at the very beginning? because I know that's what I enjoy while I'm reading a book. I love those little subtle innuendos that make you see something full circle. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you exactly what I do and what I did to outline my nonfiction book. This is just what ended up working for me and kept me motivated throughout the really, honestly grueling at times process of writing a book over the course of a year plus. I can confidently say, though, that without 
an outline and without this process, I wouldn't have been able to finish it. Okay, so the first thing that I did as soon as I had the idea, which was years and years and years ago when I lived in Switzerland, I took a lot of time to craft that one sentence summary that encompassed the idea of my book. This was important because it forced me to distill this big idea. I had so many ideas of what I wanted the book to be and how it would go, but I needed to be able to have a simple way to explain it to people because I knew that's how I would eventually have to sell it. And I knew that would be the end goal and the takeaway that I wanted a reader to get once they read the book. I wanted them to be left with a feeling. I didn't just want to spew a linear story that was really boring. So my one sentence summary ended up becoming kind of my thesis, if you will, for the entire book. I taped that summary to my notebook. I now have it actually taped to my wall. And the second step I did after this was to let myself do a free brainstorm. I use pen and paper. That's how I get all of my thoughts out. And I just free wrote any idea that came to mind related to the book. It could have been a scene, a character. I didn't censor myself from anything. If there was a certain type of clothing that, or a certain look that I wanted one of my characters to have, I described that in full even though I don't think any of that actually ended up in my final manuscript. Even when I sat down and began free writing in the notebook, I only had a handful of really good ideas, so I thought. But the more I kept writing, things just kept popping into my mind. I kept making links related to one idea and building off of that, so it ended up being extremely useful. Afterwards, I went back with a colored pen and I circled anything that was a scene, And then with another color, I put an asterisk beside anything that was a character or character related. This came in really handy later when I laid out my scenes in a spreadsheet and tried to make them in chronological order. I could flip through that notebook quickly and write down the scenes and then the corresponding character right beside it. In my brainstorming phase, writing mini scenes and vignettes was important for me to start thinking about the book as a whole versus just a singular idea. I actually had the opening scene in mind, so I let myself sit down and free write that from beginning to end. That eventually turned into my first chapter. I want to emphasize that when I first sat down to write my book, the idea of chapters intimidated me. I tried in my initial brainstorming session to list out chapters and make chapter titles because I thought if I had a title then it would give me a roadmap to where I was going, but I didn't know what to put in those chapters. And as soon as I started thinking about my book in scenes, mini episodes, little events in a TV show, a little more cinematically, that was a big light bulb moment for me. Instead of forcing the story into chapters, the chapters unfolded themselves through the various vignettes and scenes. It was kind of like the floodgates opened and all of a sudden I had these little mini scenes that I was writing down in my notebook and the whole big picture of the story really came together. So if the idea of writing chapters and chapter titles is freaking you out, try thinking of your book as a movie and write the opening scene or the final scene or the big love scene in the middle. Start there, and I think you'll be surprised at how many ideas spider out from there. 
After my brainstorm where I basically word vomited every single idea or thought that came to my mind, I began the research phase of my book. If you're writing a fiction novel, you can probably skip this stage, but since my book is nonfiction and was about a real person in history, I had a lot of research to do on this particular character and this particular point in time. Luckily for me, I am obsessed with my topic and my research subject, so this was a really fun part for me, but normally when you hear the word research, it sounds very academic and extremely boring. That's why it's important to really love your topic and the subject that you're writing about. Otherwise, it'll be really hard to stay motivated and you won't be inspired to finish the manuscript. For my research, I use both books, textbooks, and online resources. The thing that I found the most helpful was using sticky notes. So I would tab the little pages and dog ear them in the book that I was reading. And then I also use sticky notes for any facts that I found online and put that in a separate notebook. Because my genre is historical nonfiction, dates and years are really important. So beside each bullet point, I made sure to put the year in bold because I knew that I would be creating a chronological timeline and I wanted to be able to reference the years really, really, really quickly. Then I transferred all of the information that I'd gathered from those sticky notes to a website called Evernote. It's a free website that's basically set up the same way as Google Docs or your Microsoft Word programs. I forget how I first heard about Evernote, but I stumbled on it one day, and I just really like the simple streamlined layout and the fact that you could access it remotely wherever you were on any computer. They have different tabs that help you organize big chunks of information, and you can hyperlink things in there as well. There's also an Evernote app that I've heard a lot of writers use if they're on the go and want to put an idea or a thought right directly into their organized little tabs. It links to the same thing on their website, kind of like a Dropbox. I tried the app for an afternoon and ended up deleting it because I didn't like typing on that little keypad and I'm just weird like that. I'd prefer to bring my laptop and do it all on one interface. If I had an idea on the go, I would just add it to my notes app and then transfer it later to Evernote. So that way I kept all of my research super streamlined. My next step is to combine all of that work I did during my initial brainstorm with all of my research. I physically have to print all of this out and cross it off with a pen for me to feel like I'm progressing. I took all of those brainstorm notes that I had written with pen and paper in my notebook added it to different tabs based on whether it was a scene or a character and where it fit in the story into Evernote. And then I printed all of that as one document. Because of the way Evernote works, it ended up being different sections and I had headers and titles. So for me, it was very organized and easy to follow the flow of the narrative. With all of my organized notes, as organized as they can be, printed in front of me, this is where I really start the outlining process. I'll take a stack of cue cards, lay it out on my bed or on the floor, and go through my pile of notes from Evernote and list each individual scene on its own cue card. They're all random, they're all a jumble, and then it's kind of like a puzzle. I organize them, move them around, shift them on the floor or on my bed to see where the story arc can come in and I start putting them into chronological order. 
Then I'll number them once I feel satisfied with the order that each scene and the cue cards are in, and I'll tape them onto my wall. That's how I create my own visual map. I love seeing them laid out that way. I'll keep it up for the duration of my writing process, so I can always go back and refer to it. I'll put a little gold star or a sticker once I've completed a scene. Throughout it, there would be scenes that I removed. I would add more cue cards if there was a gap or a hole in the plot line. So that's why it's really helpful to lay it out on my wall because I could see exactly where I was missing a certain setting or a character that needed to come in at a different time. With my visual map of cue cards taped to my wall, I create my master outline. This is my secret weapon in Excel. I don't know if a lot of writers use Excel. I don't know if I've heard of anybody using it, but I swear by Excel for my outlining process. I create one giant Excel spreadsheet with multiple tabs along the bottom. I usually call this Excel document my book bible. Unless I have the name of the book in mind, I'll call it by its title so that I can find it easily on my desktop. The first tab in my Excel doc I call word count by chapter. This is kind of my holy grail that I come back to again and again and I update my word count in this tracker every single day. For the columns across the top of the spreadsheet, the first one is chapter number, just one through whatever it ends up being. I started with 30 just because arbitrarily I thought that would be a good number and I divided my book into three parts. Again, this is very arbitrary. There's no rhyme or reason why I picked three sections and why I picked three, 30 chapters. I ended up with a lot more chapters at the end of my manuscript, but that was just a way for me to get the ball rolling and start organizing those scenes and what I'd put up on my visual map into actual chapters with titles. The second column beside the chapter number was the chapter title. This changed from beginning to end. Again, it was just something that I put in there as a placeholder so that I could have a point of reference. The third column I labeled about this chapter. Any notes that I had, anything that I'd put on a cue card, I added into this little box. Beside that, I had my running word count. This column I highlighted in highlighter yellow. Every time I completed a chapter, I would include my word count tally there, and I changed that highlighted yellow cell to a dark gray so that I knew it was done. I had a few other columns that I created with formulas. This is not necessary at all. I just really like to see my progress every day because it kept me motivated and it felt like I accomplished something. When I plugged in my word count, I had a couple different formulas that showed me numerically how many words I had left until I hit my word count goal for the entire book. And then another formula that showed me percentage-wise how far I had to go. So I love seeing, okay, you're 30% complete. You have 50% done on this book. Oh, you're 80% of the way there. That really helped me visualize the finish line. In my Excel book Bible, I would then create a second tab called Scenes. This is where I could digitally organize everything that was on the cue cards on my wall and start grouping and categorizing those scenes into different chapters that I put in my first tab. In my scene spreadsheet, I had the year down the first column. This is because my book is, again, historical nonfiction. I wanted to quickly see the years and make sure that they were all in linear order. 
Beside the year, I had a tab with notes about that scene. Then the third column, I had a one-word descriptor. This, at a glance, helped me see, okay, this is a cultural event, this is a conflict scene, this is a love scene, and ensure that I had a variety of interesting events. And that is the process for how I outline my books. Once I've arranged all of those scenes into different chapters, the real writing begins. Using my outline as a daily guide and looking at my visual map on my wall, I'm able to write one scene and then another, and then by the end of it, I have a 90,000 word manuscript. Speaking of word count, books are usually between 70,000 and 90,000 words for fiction and 80,000 and 100,000 words for nonfiction. Mine is right in the sweet spot around 90,000 words for my nonfiction project, so that was my word count goal that I plugged into my Excel formula, and I worked backwards from there to determine how long I wanted each chapter to be. The rule of thumb for scenes is that each scene is approximately 2,000 words. I always hesitate to put a word count to scenes because they can be a lot shorter or they could be a lot longer than that. I always just write my scenes until they come to a natural end, and I try not to worry too much about the word count per scene, but I do like to keep it roughly around 2,000 words so that I'm looking at a chapter length of roughly 4,000 words max. There's no rule that a chapter has to be that long. A lot of them are a lot shorter and a lot of them are a lot longer. I just discovered through trial and error that 4,000 words for a chapter was my max sweet spot before I felt as a reader people would get bored. Within that chapter I tried to keep it to a minimum of two scenes, but in my book some chapters are just one scene and they're a lot shorter. All of this was based on a feel thing. There was no rhyme or reason to it. I just thought, okay, this I want the chapter to end here and I'll start a new chapter with this new scene. If you like to think in page count rather than word count, one scene at 2,000 words is roughly eight pages double-spaced. Taking my own book as an example, it's 90,000 words. A manuscript always has to be double-spaced, so that ended up being 360 printed computer pages. Again, none of this is set in stone. As you start writing and get into the flow of things, you'll find your own rhythm and way you'd like to organize your chapters and how long you want them to be. The first Harry Potter book was actually on the shorter side of the spectrum at 76,000 words, and by the fifth book, it was over 260,000 words. So there's a lot of variance when it comes to book length. There's also a lot of variance when it comes to outlining. You just have to figure out a method that works best for you. And whether that's a combination of the snowflake method, the skeleton method, the visual map, the contextual preparation, there's never just one way to do anything in life, and that's kind of the beauty of it. For me, I like outlining because I get to see my book from a bird's eye view, and it breaks it down into manageable chunks so that little by little, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, scene by scene, and chapter by chapter, I can get to my end goal, which is a completed manuscript. But if outlining a book adds unwanted stress, then don't listen to any of this advice and just go for it. Writing a book is a lot of hard work, but you should try to find some joy in the process. However you get to that final destination, the most important thing is just that you get there. 
that you finish what you started, that you finish the path you set out on with your grand idea for a book from the get-go. Trust me, you'll thank yourself later. That's it for today's chapter. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at louiseclairjohnson.com slash podcast. And you can follow along on Instagram at wordweaverpodcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure you leave a review or a comment in iTunes or on the Stitcher podcast app. That's how more people can find out about the Word Weaver podcast. Until next time. I hear weight with words.